0: Hello, and welcome to another episode of Something Rotten. This is our Metal Gear Solid series. We have finally made it to Metal Gear Solid 2, Sons of Liberty. My name is Jacob Geller. I am joined, as always, by
1: my co-host, Blake Hester. Hello, Blake. My God, Jacob. Jacob, quick question. QQ. A GQ for you. Mm-hmm. Do you feel as though God has smiled upon us this week and taken mercy after the brutality she put us through over the past two weeks?
0: I was I was like, oh my God, playing a video game is fun. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I know, it's it's fun fucking to run concept. around. <laughs> oh my God.
0: Oh, it's beautiful. Um, and as well as Blake, we are joined by a very special guest, uh, both special because... Um, I think Blake and I are both fans of his work, and also because he's someone who, as far as I know, does not really play video games except for the Metal Gear Solid series. Patrick Willems of uh, YouTube and Nebula is here. Hello. Thanks for having me. Patrick, we're so glad to have you. I think this is the first
1: time that we've had three Nebula boys on the pod before, which is very exciting Ooh, three co-workers i see y'all around the office all the time you know we eat lunch together every day now we're finally committing it to pod. yeah But <laughs> patrick
0: actually spends time in the nebula office blake you gotta go <laughs> you could probably hang out i am out. i'm there
1: so often i shoot my videos there i ride a train under the nebula office at least twice a week that kind of counts Cause <laughs> like i think the in train goes under it or maybe it's the r and i'm like oh Wait, are you in New York? I am. I'm in Queens. A story in Queens. Why aren't you hanging out at the office? Well, I so all I do is something rotten, and I am technically like a contractor of Jacob, not of Nebula. Okay. So it's like I don't really know what I would do Look, there. You're in our Slack channel. You could. You could go. That's true. I was like if I go during the daytime, like normal work hours, I'd just be doing my day job there, and I'd be like, that's a waste of Nebula. Yeah, space, yeah. To just be like, I'm gonna work on Game Informer here, so. It hasn't worked out just yet, but maybe soon. We'll see.
2: Well, if nothing else, uh, Jacob, you should visit New York and come to the office yeah. and then, you
1: know, bring Blake we along. Got,
0: Absolutely. We we maybe got some stuff cooking. We'll we'll see see what
1: happens there. Jacob, if you come to New York, I can show you where the beginning of Metal Gear Solid 2 is. Oh, my
2: God. Now I gotta go. <laughs> I mean, not to, like, jump right into the topic at hand, uh, yeah. but when this game... This is the first time that I've played this game since moving to New York City, which I did 12 years ago, but uh but I was like I forgot that it began yeah. right there uh like under the George Washington
0: Bridge and I was delighted. It's really there there is a lot of New York stuff about this game uh some of which was cut from the game uh which I'm excited to talk about. But um Patrick, so you we this came up like on when you were a guest on my charity stream earlier, where I was playing video games, and you were talking about how you didn't really play video games, except for Metal Gear Solid, which I feel like kind of makes sense in that uh, Kojima is a very filmmaker game designer, and certainly seems like a guy who wishes he was making movies often, but like, when did you start, when did you get into Metal Gear? Well, so I should say,
2: um, I used to play video games pretty regularly, uh, I would never say I was like a, a hardcore gamer, but I was like... I played a decent amount of video games for basically up until like 2011. Uh, as in, you know, I would consistently...
0: Yeah, from like the 90s on. Oh, so is that you moved to New York then? If you moved to New York 12 years ago, uh, you it, just it, stopped playing games? It's honestly more I, uh, I
2: started my... YouTube channel and became self-employed and just stopped playing. Vi- like I, I never even made the deliberate choice. Like, well, time to cut games out of my life. <laughs> it was really, it was this weird thing where I, uh, you know, like, like, like I, I had the, like, you know, I, I had a PS three. I played metal gear solid four among other games. I, you know, I, 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 I I was going back to the nineties. I would buy like every naughty dog game. That was like a developer that like I followed. And um and then right around 2011, uh, when I I launched my channel, uh, which wouldn't become profitable for like six more years. But then I also like I, I started a freelance video business, which became my mm-hmm. day job for those six years. Uh, and being like self employed and having to make my own schedule, somehow like my brain just decided like subconsciously that like the video game consoles were this dangerous like potential time suck where if i flipped it on hours could go by uh and i just got out of the habit and then suddenly i was like wait it's been a year and i haven't played a video game and uh and in the past decade uh i have i have only like played in full two video games and one of them that i just finished uh last week took me three years to beat. playing in one week installments uh well so the the in 2018 um i i bought the ps4 spider-man and because my roommate at the time had a playstation 4 and i borrowed his playstation 4 because i was like i have to play this game and i did and, uh, I, I would play in like, I would let myself do an hour a day and, uh, and I beat it and it was lovely. And, uh, and then, uh, like many people during, uh, lockdown in 2020, I bought a uh, Nintendo Switch, uh, and, and played a little bit of like Animal Crossing and stuff and then got distracted by work and didn't touch it again. Uh, but I got, I think maybe for Christmas in 2021, uh, I got, uh, Metroid Dread and then played it for like four hours that week around Christmas. And then last year around Christmas, played it for about four more hours. And then last week... Played it for an,
1: another four hours, and I beat it. Wow. That's kind of cool. That's more than I could say. I never beat that game. It was too hard that, for me. Yeah,
0: that game is really hard. Like, thinking about it, it spending,
1: was like, a year between, <laughs> you'd have
0: to, like, re-remember <laughs> yeah. how to play. Oh,
2: that was always a thing. I, I, like, I'd I jump back in and be like, oh, what do the controls do? And, uh, but yeah, yeah, look, uh, Ravenbeak gave me a tough time, but, um, I shut him down. And uh, and I feel really proud. Congratulations! What,
1: what did you play Metal Gear Solid Two on then? For this, did you play it on Switch?
2: Uh, I got it on the Switch. Yeah, but that oh, said, how I was is it? I was, uh, good. It 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 Hell totally yeah. nice. works. I mean, you know, like the you know the 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 buttons on on the Switch are basically arranged like the yeah. a PlayStation controller. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, so it worked pretty nicely. But but knowing that I was going uh, to my parents' house for Christmas, I was fully prepared to like. Take my PlayStation Two out of storage
1: and pop yeah. the, the the disc that back in. Been great, we've done yeah. that in other seasons before, and I'll be honest, it is a little cumbersome. The Switch streamlines the entire process, but it really does. You would have felt yeah. way cooler having done it.
0: Yeah, you would have got more cool points uh, from
1: <laughs> yeah. us, but we appreciate you being here. Uh, I, I know. Thank
2: you. But anyway, um, that was a very very long uh, answer, but the, the the very short version is, um, yeah, I I used to play. A, quite a lot of games
0: but Metal Gear Solid was my favorite series and did you did you play them in order like upon release did you play one before two not quite um,
2: I okay if we want to get into my full history with this franchise and we do I don't know how long your episodes are and so I, I, I don't want to okay. you know <laughs> just monologue for two be. hours okay so I Metal Gear Solid 2 was the first one that I played in full uh I played a Mike's my, my introduction to Metal Gear Solid was in the late 90s. I got I believe at Pizza Hut a demo disc with uh demos of multiple games and it had on just the very beginning of the first Metal Gear Solid. And as I don't know like a 10-year-old, I found it so hard. Just the idea of, you know, when you climb out of the water at the beginning, you just have to get to the elevator. Yeah, that was so hard to me because the stealth had never come up in any games I'd played. And it was like the game, it just, the game seemed so, so adult I'm just like, I'm, t- I, I, like, like, it, like just the, the maturity of the gameplay was something that I was not, like, experienced with or prepared for. And it seemed exciting, but I'm just like, that's a game for older people. And I, you know, I'm going to go back to Crash Bandicoot now. Uh, and so, but, and I remember being over at, like, a friend's house and his, like, older teenage brother was playing Metal Gear Solid. And he was like, look at this. There's a character called Psycho Mantis. And I was like, this seems so cool, but it also, like, stresses me out. And so I never really played it, but it was just a thing that I was always curious about. And then, you know, I'm like in middle school. Uh, I'm, I'm a, you know, I'm, I'm playing more like M-rated games and stuff like that. And I'm, I'm, i reading a lot of IGN and their reviews. And everyone was very hyped about Metal Gear Solid Two, and I was like, this one I'm gonna play. And uh, and it looked so interesting. And I, I got it for Christmas, I think 2001. And and you know, and that was the time when like a lot of my Christmas presents would be video games, but I remember vividly Christmas day that was the first of the of the games I got that year that was the the first one that I popped into the p s two because I was like, I have to play this right away, and then you know the title sequence begins with the Harry Gregson Williams score, and I'm just like, oh my god it's like a movie and I, w- I loved it I fell in love immediately and and because I had not uh played the first one. The shift from Snake to Raiden did not piss me off the way it did with a lot of people because I'm just like, well, I have no attachment to Snake. I just I'm a vaguely aware that he was the guy. And then I went back and played the first one after two. And then I remember playing um I got uh Twin Snakes for GameCube. And uh, and I loved Twin Snakes because it's like oh the the cutscenes are like redone and more over the top and more anime uh, and and that was you know when I, when I was like fourteen that was really cool um, and yeah and then I played three loved it played four uh you know w- loved it to weird w- weird I mean they're, they're all weird but f- four it's just like the the sheer. The sheer length of those cut scenes, the, um, the the amount of times the word nanomachines is uttered and also turns out to be the explanation for everything that happens is nuts. But yeah, but it's the thing where four is the last one I played.
0: I've never played Phantom Pain. I... Uh, and is there's there's another one after that? Well, they're are kind of there are some ones in the middle. They're like mobile ones, like Peace Walker. There's, there's my favorite, Revenge Rising, which is the one that starts writing. Yes. Yeah, yeah.
2: I, I, all of these I've been curious about, but they're all in my kind of like post-video game era. And it's the thing where like I genuinely want to play Death Stranding. Uh, that is one of the few games in the past decade where I'm just like, do I just like buy a console for this and somehow? I don't know, do I, do I, if I can find a way to just, uh, turn it into a video that
0: I can, that I can justify (laughs) the time, I... I mean, I was thinking, while you were describing that, the, like, the Metal Gear Solid 1 Twin Snakes thing feels like a Patrick Willems video, because it is so, like, bizarre in the, like, idea of, like, we're going to remake this, we're doing it, like more we're doing it different but also it's the same and it's like it's it has to be the same script but snake is going to do a kickflip off a missile
1: (laughs) (laughs) he does hold on also worth pointing out worth pointing out uh to bring it full circle because i know most of your videos do revolve around movies and directors that is a japanese film director who did those it's Ryu, Ryuhei hey kitamura who directed verses, and it's in a lot right, of like right. Sono stuff. oh my god
2: okay yeah. okay yeah.
1: i think i butchered his name but that we are going to talk about that Good. on the bonus episode we're going to talk more it's about
2: it's funny him. i i had i have not thought about twin snakes in like 15 years until in the middle of like just just talking there it like just returned in such vivid detail so yeah you got to talk about
0: it it is i mean it is I, I would love to play Twin Snakes as part of doing this thing or whatever because it's just so weird. Also, just to make your uh, you know child self who got that demo disc feel better, uh, I am an adult man who is ostensibly a professional gamer and getting to the elevator in the first screen of Metal Gear Solid 1 was like bafflingly <laughs> difficult. <laughs> okay, thank you. I feel so much better now. Um, so, Metal Gear Solid 2, uh, Sons of Liberty, is a game that came out Three years after um, Metal Gear Solid 1, which feels impossible when you play it uh, because, oh my god, technology moved so fast and this game is doing so much. Um, My first notes are uh, all on the intro movie, which is, uh, one, wow, there is a lot of money here, and two, this is the greatest score in any video game. Like, I... The the Harry Gregson-Williams score, we talked with previous guests about kind of, like, how interesting the music was in MGS1, and maybe it lost a little of that by going more cinematic, but, like, I I cannot deny that, like, I get chills every time I <laughs> hear that opening score.
2: The part near the end, when it just, when it slows down, and you got just, like, that final march, uh, as it, like, just, like, builds up to the the, uh, the big finale, it's yeah it's incredible as, and I'll put it this way um I used th- that that the, the that last stretch of the theme uh as the concluding track uh in a in like one of the big movies I made in high school. i was just like i'm just i'm just like it's the best music ever that's what i'm gonna end my my silly uh like you know eleventh grade uh movie with um and also a thing that when that uh title sequence came up. A thing that i did that meant nothing to me at the time but uh looking at the credits um the open title sequence uh was designed by kyle cooper uh who's like probably the most legendary uh, movie title designer of the past like 30 years like you know he did the titles for like seven and uh and like oh so yeah
0: like the guy the oh, guy
2: wow. yeah uh but yeah you you, you and uh, I was looking through his whole l- list of credits, and it's only big movies, like Seven, uh, the Sam Raimi Spider-Man movies, stuff like that. And then uh, Metal Gear Solid, I believe, 2, 3, and 4.
1: And 5. And 5 and, five and Death Stranding. He's, oh, the Death Stranding and actually. was hold on. so good. Sorry, and Resident Evil 2 remake, interestingly Ooh. enough. Well, as far as i can that tell the only non kojima game he ever did
0: that's wild i i just think it's so it is so interesting that like i feel like with games specifically as time you know as as it gets further away from them it's kind of harder to tell like what is technically impressive and not because, like, you know, what what the PS5 can do now is so different than what the PS2 can do. And so it's harder to tell, like, this is effort, this is money. And yet there are so many sequences in this where I'm like, this is money. Like, there is no cheap way to do this. You know, they are, like, spending stuff on it. Uh, which is interesting to, we're going to be referencing this a lot, but there is a, a Jeff Keeley piece called "The Final Hours of Metal Gear Solid 2 that's like a really interesting look into the development of this game. Um, and we have pretty specific statistics on like how many people worked on this game and how much it cost, which is uh, 70, uh, like everyone, including like composers and stuff, 70 people. Um, and then the game's budget was ten million dollars, which is seventeen million today, which is nothing. You know, like Sony recently said that they didn't even consider a hundred million dollars like a triple A game anymore. So like, it is, you know. Also in that story, you hear that everyone on this game was crunching for literally a year. So it's not like it's a good story Sounds of how right. to make a piece of art, but like, it is really really impressive what they accomplished here. The
1: the thing I what i took away from i don't i don't necessarily think i agree with like older games it's hard to tell what was like cutting edge or something because i feel like when i see this in mgs1 or grim fandango i was like oh this is clearly leagues better than their contemporaries but like the thing i took away from this opening which i took away also from mgs1 is the care paid to the cutscene direction in these games which i think is obviously better than games of its time i also think better than games today in a lot of cases and i don't want to act like kojima stands alone because i think like you know we played killer 7 recently which has incredible cutscene direction and looks so cool and there's like a lot of care to how like it's digital cameras are placed and how you like see things but like there's such a eye for like filmic language in this game that's like afforded to it by a better console the ps2 over the ps1 you know and more technical specs whatever the fuck but like this opening and every cutscene after like there is some really impressive shit going on that is like for as good as a lot of like sony's first party stuff looks which is like basically lifelike the least interesting thing in the world in those games are the cameras that they like they're filming things with it's like I don't know, put put the guy in the, the third, and then we'll have him talk, and then maybe the camera will cut back and forth. And Kojima and, like, you know, Suda as well, I kind of lumped them together in my brain weirdly, like, they think about the camera as a physical object in the game, and this cutscene is incredible. Like, there's so much care here that, like, you just don't find in games today still. I mean, God of War, I guess, is a little different, but I still think that camera's pretty boring. No, there is there is such an eye for, like, and this
0: is something that you can kind of continue to see throughout the Metal Gear series, yeah. but, like, there's such an eye for, like, troop movements, you know, that scene early on when there are, like, the, uh, you know, the, the people, like, killing all the Marines on the tanker, and it's just, like, the way they are shot kind of tactically moving is so is so kind of like visceral and feels like very it feels very efficient it feels like what they would be doing but it also feels you know like I don't know it feels like there is a camera filming actors there in a way that I just find really impressive
1: exactly and it's something that feels even though this game is over 20 years old and I'm playing it in full for the first time in 2023 it feels so refreshing to be like oh there's actual direction here like, there's cutscene direction. And it's, like, it's something I don't think I've thought about since, like, Devil May Cry 5, which had, like, really great cutscene direction. Um, and it's baffling to be, like, this game is, you know, more than half my age. And, like, I'm playing it be like, wow, this feels new and refreshing and cutting edge. And it's like, well, it's fucking not. It's very old compared to, like, most video games I play. But it's it's so cool. Yeah, it rocks.
2: Okay, so here's a question. For the cutscenes, um, were they using... <laughs> motion capture yet or was this
1: still just okay yeah, motion capture was i mean fairly early but had been around for a couple years by this point used in video games specifically like um si- and the silent hill team as well like i think a lot of konami projects were using mocap because like silent hill 2 was mocapped which came yeah, out like around uh, this time. facial motion capture took a while
0: longer to catch on most of the face stuff is I, I would guess all of it is animated by hand, but like bodies are being done by real actors. Okay. Um, for that, the most part. That makes a lot of sense. Um something that I want to talk about. As as this game begins in New York, he's walking along the Brooklyn yeah, Bridge. Washington is that right? uh, George Washington. Washington, George Washington Bridge. Look, I don't live in New York. Uh he jumps off. Um when you look into the development of Metal Gear Solid 2, one of the things that you will find is is this game uh, was slated to be published one week after 9-11, and there was a lot of stuff that uh, was related to 9-11 that uh, happened in the last, like, couple weeks with this game um, in a way that... You know, you hear about like, um, gosh, Patrick, you probably know this better than me, but it's like Zoolander released the week after nine eleven and like digitally erased the Twin Towers from the skyline. And there's like other stories like that, but the, the original Spider-Man, yeah, same
1: rating. I so, mean, yeah. I think
0: I think the
2: biggest one, or is the the movie that changed the most actually was Men in Black two?
0: Oh, that's right, yeah.
2: Yeah, uh with Johnny Knoxville. Uh he 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 is sure <laughs> in that movie with two he- two heads, two Johnny Knoxville's. Um but but yeah, I uh, if you ever look at Men in Black 2 and go, I mean, obviously the movie is not good, but if you ever wonder like why is it so short? Uh it is because in the way that like the climax of the first Men in Black, uh you know, kind of was all about like the, the world's fair in Queens. Um, you know, they wanted to, in this one, their big New York landmark that, uh, the climax would be based around was, uh, the twin towers. Um, and that all got, and that movie came out, uh, you know, summer 2002. So, uh, yeah, that all just got stripped away and, uh, leaves the movie feeling, you know, like it's, it's missing
0: something. Um, yeah so in in retrospect especially when uh, considering already that they like did not think this game was going to come out in 2001 because it was so ambitious and they were kind of crunching so hard um the start of the game we've learned a lot of this is from their like translated articles the did you know gaming youtube channel has a couple really good videos on this but like The start of the game was supposed to be, like, investigating claims of WMDs in Iraq. Like, that was going to be the opening of it, which is wild because, like, that didn't even, you know, it's like taking that out feels like seeing what the next three years in America were going to be, not like the week after 9-11. So that was taken out. Um, There were, I think, you know, shots of the Twin Towers that were uh, taken out of the kind of games thing. Uh, The finale, which we won't be talking about in this, but like just in general, uh, was going to include a giant thing crashing into Manhattan Island um, and, like, the knocking over the Statue of Liberty and, like, doing all this shit, and, like, all of that was modified or taken out, um, and, and it's really, it's really weird to read about. Apparently, Kojima, they're, like, there is such good documentation of how this game was made in a way that, like, god, I wish more games had this, but there are, like, pages of writing about Kojima just being, like, maybe we shouldn't release this. Like, maybe we just should not put this out at all because it is a game that is in many ways critical of, like, America, kind of talking about uh, political cover-ups and misinformation, and there's a lot of stuff about politics, and, and it is just this, like, there's this weird feeling of despair when you read it where he's like, you know, may- maybe we should just skip this one. Maybe we should just like not put it out and make the next Metal Gear Solid. Um, and then they convince him to put it out. It seems like no one actually cared. He was like, people cared so much more about riding the Ryden switch than like anything related to the country's politics. Um, but the but the craziest fact is that one of the one of the wild Kojima ideas he was tossing around early on was that they should maybe name this game Metal Gear Solid Three because one. That would just be funny. People would be like, what happened to two? And also the three would refer to the three tallest buildings in New York, uh, which is like, good God. I'm glad they did not go with that. What, did you
1: Wait, w-
2: w- what is if it was the Twin Towers? What's the other third one?
1: Empire at that State time, only? it would have been Empire State. Yeah.
0: Okay. Uh,
1: it's a very
0: it's like I think that was probably like a first year pitch, Uh, but it is it's is just <laughs> such a, you know. I like that sometimes he just says ideas that are bad,
1: and then everyone moves on. And, you know, he'd still be doing that 23
0: years later. What a wacky guy. Blake, you knew what the real villain of Metal Gear Solid is? Yeah,
1: nuclear proliferation. Okay, yeah, but... Oh, Oh, you mean giant, sick robots? No, I was going... Oh, you meant the controls for the sniper rifle? No, Blake... The real villain of Metal
0: Gear Solid is a lack of data security. You're just saying that because we're being sponsored by NordVPN. Think about it, man. People are constantly getting one over on Snake because his
1: codec is like wide open and anyone can listen in. I feel like you're making this sound dumber by connecting it to that game. The fact is, VPNs should just kind of be part of your internet infrastructure at this point. It actually is for me, and not just because I'm smarter than Solid Snake. Uh
0: I've used VPNs when traveling to different countries so I could continue working like I was still at home in the U.S. I've also used them when doing research for my videos, or even for this show. Because believe it or not, Blake, there's still a lot of websites that feel pretty unsafe to be on. No way. Using NordVPN, I know. I'm not going to pick up some tracker or malware or
1: something. You know, Snake... He could have used. I'm just going to interrupt to tell our listeners that when they sign up with our code, NordVPN.com slash rotten, they'll get bonus months on top of an annual plan. You don't need to make it about video games, Jacob. This is just something that normal adults who listen to our show should use. Also, there's a full 30-day money-back guarantee, so if they decide they don't want it for some reason, it's no big deal. You're right. I shouldn't lean
0: on Snake to make logical advertising pitches. Be a functioning adult and just visit nordvpn.com slash rotten to get our special offer and protect yourself online.
1: Was that so hard? Colonel. VPN. Nord.
0: um uh, a big a big thing when this game was coming out we'll we'll start talking about the game soon but i do just think so much of the pre-release stuff is really interesting um there were huge trailers for this game this kind of started the like kojima making 10 minute trailers things because he had two of them at two back-to-back e3s um they are really good trailers there's this line i like in one that says metal gear solid changed the world's games and now the world changes metal gear solid which is like that's cool that's a good line um they also um one one more thing is before he made it he said that he was inspired by the twist of terminator 2 um where uh surprise arnold is actually a good guy where he wanted to be like surprise you're playing as a different protagonist the cool thing about metal gear solid 2 is it actually pulled it off where terminator 2 like put in all the trailers that like arnold's the good guy this time and so it's like people actually got to be surprised um, anyway, let's talk about this game. Uh, Blake, coming off Metal Gear Solid 1, were you as thrilled as I was that, oh my god, Snake
1: controls like a real human person now? For sure. I mean, I had a idea he would, because look, this this opening, it, it, I put it on like a well-worn glove, because I had Zone of the Enders growing up, so I had the Metal Gear Solid 2 demo. I don't even think I ever played Zone of the Enders, but I probably played 800 hours of this level. And I was like, I got it. I know exactly what to do. I flew through this level. It was no problem. But yes, I was surprised to find that it did still, for the most part, feel pretty good in 2023. Um, The one place, weirdly, just like a hyper specific example where it feels bad, is uh, taking cover on a wall and trying to shimmy to the edge of it. But yeah, like just navigation is so improved. And here, that is like, Jesus Christ, thank you, Kojima, for making a good game.
0: The The ability to aim in first person feels, it feels overpowered. It feels like you're breaking the game. Because in, in Metal Gear 1, it's like you couldn't even see anything beyond your screen, let alone aim at it. And this being able to, like, use that little laser sight to line up a shot from, like, across, you know, like, that huge boiler room or whatever it really it's significantly easier just to start with like i think the tanker section in general is like not it's not particularly challenging stealth at at any oh, time dude, but i was like...
1: pulling off john wick shit in this level it was <laughs> wild how fucking hard i was going like the game does actually there's like a room right before you find metal gear that has it does a lot with like um tier geometry, what would you call that? Vertical, ge- there are multiple levels to this room, and like you can really play with how you take out enemies that are way below you and way above you, and it feels so much cooler than anything in Metal Gear Solid 1, to just like be able to think about the geometry in interesting ways. So here's a question uh, it, like, just looking at let's say the tanker section uh, how, how
2: do you guys approach uh, playing a Metal Gear game. Specifically, like, uh, you know, in terms of, what do you do with the enemies? Do you trank them? Do you kill them? What do you do if uh, if you're seen? Because uh, I, I realized when I was playing this again, I'm like, oh yeah, I have, like, like when I played this the first time, you know, back in, you know, when I was, like, in middle school, and then I, I played it a couple more times, like, in, in high school and stuff, I would, g- generally, I, I loved the trank gun so much, I'd be like, oh, what if i do what if I don't even kill anybody? what if i I only trank people and and uh and and this time um I remember that I'm like, oh right, you can grab people and like break their neck and I was like, you know what these are all terrible people. they murdered everyone on the tanker I don't you know i i I will kill them sometimes, but my general rule with Metal Gear almost always is. If I am seen, I just let them kill me and then go back. I'm just like, no, I I fucked up, I failed. I'm gonna go back and do this right, and not and and I, like I cannot get an alert. I I won't I will not accept that. But I, I realize that's just me being that's that's like like there you don't have to do it this way. And so I'm curious what how you guys approach the game.
1: I play it non-lethal the only people that died so far are people who stood in the way of their buddies' guns which i was like that's kind of funny there's friendly fire with the enemies (laughs) um i played non-lethal i'm hugging every corner i'm waiting i'm biding my time i'll sit on a corner for 25 minutes if i don't think i can get this (laughs) shot i don't care i'm there i'm waiting if he's walking left and right i'm finding the exact right micrometer to put a trank in his head If he's got a buddy, I'm coming up with like, I'm doing complex physics problems to figure out the best way to get my shot across this room so that someone does not see his buddy fall and I'm killing no one. I am the angel of mercy through these games, except for when those dudes stood in the way of their own friend's guns. That's not my fault. Hey, not your fault. Yeah. I can't, Hey, you can't fix stupid. You know what I'm saying? Uh, but yeah, that's how I'm playing it. I'm even the boss, I was, like, tranking only. Actually, I think you don't have any lethal options. Yeah, I don't for the think you have a gun boss. at that yeah. point. But Oga? I will yeah, be... you, you got a tranker. Right, okay. I will be, if I can, I will be tranking the rest of the bosses as well. Um, yeah, I, I generally feel... It almost
0: feels, when a game gives me a silenced tranquilizer gun, I'm almost, like this ruins the rest of the game because I'm never going to use anything but this. Like, that's how I've played basically every stealth game. And I also think it's actually, it's an an interesting conversation about game design of, like, stealth games have worked really hard to make getting seen interesting because I think all of our impulses are, like, we just got to restart this thing. You know, like, Patrick, you are not alone in feeling that. That, like, you want to have a perfect run, and if you don't have a perfect run just just quit and start over and so i was like i was trying to not do that in this game and it's actually it's not that hard to avoid alerts and they like lose interest pretty quickly um but i do think you know it's like this game lets you be much more kind of perfect feeling than i felt like i could ever be in metal gear solid one the fact that you can hide bodies you know i loved even though it's like oh yeah there
1: were how do you do that
0: it, it you have to you have to uh, be unarmed and press square over a body and then you can drag them. Um, but like even though almost none of the guard paths even intersected. So there was like very little chance of actually someone seeing someone else's body. I was just like I'm going to do this clean. And so, yeah, I would trank him. I would drag him to a locker. The locker would have like a picture of a lady in on a bikini in the inside. And so I'd put him in that one and be like,
1: enjoy yourself, bud. Did you? So you can do all kinds of funny codec things. When you find the first sexy lady in the locker, did you go into first person mode and then call Auticon? No, I thought there might be something, but I couldn't figure out so the exact sequence. I did it. Auticon is like, Snake, what are you doing? There's no time for this. And Snake in the right hand corner is like panting. And it's so <laughs> fucking funny, dude. It cracked me up. Uh, can we talk a bit about the setup to the tanker And while we're there Because I found it yeah, pretty yeah. fascinating So mm-hmm. s- after the yeah, announcement- how, how Snake has like a stealth camo That immediately <laughs> malfunctions When he lands on the tanker It's got to malfunction in the coolest way possible Well it's funny The stealth camo is like the most OP shit from MGS1 But you never get it until the very end And so it's funny that um The first cutscene in this game It's like uh rain piece of shit Got it um, but after the events of MGS one snake has become, I don't know, like kind of a mercenary, a freedom fighter. What would you call well, it? He's so he's part of, yeah, he is part of a group called
0: philanthropy, which is a, uh, an anti-metal gear group recognized by the UN, but not, not like an American. It, it's still kind of like a PMC or something like he's, he's kind of outside countries.
1: Yeah. I, I What we find out is after the events of the first game, I guess, like, the how to build a a Metal Gear has leaked. And Oticon has this great quote where he's like, every state in .com has their own Metal Gear right now. Which I loved because it's like, of course. Yahoo.com, Metal Gear. It's like, of course this would happen. I mean, you got to do some mental gymnastics to be like, how would they actually build this thing? But I love the idea that it's like this end-all, be-all weapon of the first game. is just like, eh, anyone can build one now. We, I, we, we did a, an oh, and it leaked on the internet. And I'm like, all right,
0: there we go. Yeah. And, and just that it, it, it paints the entire first game as like basically a failure. You know, it's like, sure. Okay. You prevented a nuclear launch. I guess that's good. But like the, the big thing was like, oh my gosh, what if this metal gear gets released to the world? And it's like, it did. Yeah. There's nothing you can do about it. Everyone has
1: one. I mean, th- it's like, the opening cutscene for how cool it is, that idea is so bleak for the world, right? Like, it, it is an incredibly bleak game when you think about, like, this is the worst possible scenario within, like, mm-hmm. the Metal Gear universe, is that anyone outside of, like, the four people who knew Metal Gear existed a couple years ago would ha- know it's real and have one.
0: Yeah, and, and just the idea that it's like, you know, when you get on the tanker, Uh, You're about to go do stuff, and then, like, oh, no, terrorists invade, and, you know, so there are these evil guys. But before you do that, your mission is, like, the Marines have a Metal Gear, and they are lying to everyone about it. And so you are just going in there to, like, take pictures of it and be like, hey, everyone, look, you know, the U.S. military has this, like, massive nuclear-enabled machine, you know? And so it's, like, it's, it's not, like, even though you know your goal is not like kill all the marines on the thing it is just starting from like u.s military bad lying to everyone you know that's like where the game starts out and then kind of like spirals from there but that's
1: all fiction that's not like real that's never really happened this, this is all just work of fiction all just fantasy no definitely not in
0: the years after 9-11
1: nothing
0: <laughs> we certainly
1: don't have to worry about like uh sorry, construction I, going on? i think my building's falling um we don't have to worry about like weapons of mass destruction like actually leaking out and people being able to build them th- themselves, right? Like that's all, that's all fantasy, right? It's kind of like dragons and kings and castles and wizards. Yeah. So, so,
2: uh, okay, so I haven't played the first game in a while. Um, can you guys remind me beyond just so like is Metal Gear just like kind of a a big robot piloted by a person that can like launch nukes
0: yes it doesn't have to be piloted by a person it can be autonomous and then the other thing about it at least in the first game is it has it shoots the nuke out of a rail gun meaning that it cannot be detected on radar because Ah. it's like it, it doesn't have its own propulsion it's just a big bullet um So it still it still is kind of like, why is this so much worse than just a country being able to shoot a nuke at another country? But like, ultimately, yeah, that is that is why it's like the,
1: you know, an undetectable nuclear launch. Okay. however, the great irony of the Metal Gear is that they were ostensibly designed to be nuclear weapon disposal robots. So, yeah, right. Otacon made it, but then didn't know that it
0: was going to be able to shoot a nuke because he is the dumbest man alive. this moment in that game. Um, I do really love it. there's a quote um th- this is between between the tanker and the Raiden section, but there's a quote that says like computers and atomic weapons grew up together, uh which I think is like such a cool good good just like analysis and there there is a lot of this like, you know, if you read even a little bit you will find that, like, so much of what our defi- what defines our modern world was initially, like, used as military technology, you know, including, like, weather systems, you know, radar. The ability to for you to go on, like, weather.com and see if it's going to rain or not was, like, crucial to military functioning, and all of that was funded as, like, part of military stuff. And now it's leaked into, you know, everything. And it's, you know, the idea of, like computers coming up at the same time and like kind of inextricably linked to these weapons that are able to kill millions of people is like such a good kind of like interesting way of looking at this whole game which is obsessed with technology and you know military operations
1: technology also that just people will get their hands on right like i think that was the most fascinating part for me was the like fucking dot-com quote was like Oh yeah, like we tell people we have this awful thing that no one should have, and we should be terrified of. Every Bob and Steve down the road is going to be like, "Well, how do I build one?"
0: Okay, so there is this whole there's this whole tanker section. You're running around on a big boat or like a an oil platform. Um, it's very fun, as we talked about. There's one there's one boss fight against a woman named Olga, um, which is it is fun in that it has a bunch of little interactables like this whole level does where you can like you can shoot a cloth and then it flies away or you can like shoot the spotlight and then uh, you know she can't see you as well or whatever um but i think it's mostly this is just a kind of a section being like here's how stealth works um here's what you do and then it is like the last big section of this level that is both technically really impressive and the most story stuff happens. Um, so you get into the bottom of the tanker. Uh, there is a, a like, you know, Marine commander or whatever is giving a speech on what Metal Gear means for the military. And it is this... Oh, God, I love... I love how it's, like, kind of video gamey, but it's also kind of over-explained, where Otacon's like... I hacked into his script, like, the teleprompter is going to take about seven minutes, you know, so you've got seven minutes to do this, and and so you have to get up there in seven minutes while he's giving a speech in real time and take pictures, but, like, the cool thing, and again, it's like, oh my god, this was not possible on the PS1, is there are, like, 60 dudes in each room who are just standing, looking at the commander, and, like, if if you get seen, which I did, there's this amazing sound effect where it's one guy gets alerted and then you hear all sixty of them have like the exclamation point pop up over their
1: head. Uh something this game does brilliantly that I think the first game tried but kind of failed is humor. This game is very funny. And uh mm-hmm. one of the there's a quick throwaway line where Otacon's like Oh, yeah, you got about seven minutes. Unless he sneaks in a good joke or two. And I was like, that's a fucking good bit.
2: (laughs) And then it is good when you get to the end of that. And then he's like, actually, I'm going to keep going. And then they just add on like another 90 seconds on the clock.
1: I didn't know that. That
2: rocks. Holy shit. So, uh, yeah, Blake, I think what you're saying is you you were too good at the game and did it in the time limit, and, uh, and yeah, yeah, I yeah. forgot where to go and uh, and ran out of time, and then the game gave me more time.
1: Oh, yeah. Like I said, I'm playing – I'm John Wick shit. I'm going through this game, no problem. Yeah. Pro game. Also, can
2: I say, we did I, – I feel like we kind of, like, just breezed past uh, Olga, who I feel like is – No, I, talk I, about I, Olga. I just – so, again, I have not played this game in, like – more than 15 years, I would say, and so much of this, uh, like, returned, like, so vividly to me, and I'm just, like, the introduction of Olga, where it's, uh, I mean, Kojima really loves those moments where, you know, things like maybe go into slow motion or things kind of, pa- like, pause, just to kind of, like, luxuriate, and maybe it's, like, you know— The rain hitting, like, uh, uh, Snake's poncho as he walks across the George Washington Bridge, stuff like that. But, like, that initial, like, introductory shot of Olga where, like, her name and credit appears, where uh, she... Uh, reaches up and takes off her hat, and and you see like <laughs> she has armpit hair, and i uh, like that's a, it's been, like a very Kojima detail to be like we're gonna she's gonna have like a, a tank top on and suspenders and a crop top, and she's gonna take off her hat, and that's gonna be like her cool intro, and and like as soon as she returned I. Or not returned, but showed up, and uh, and you see, like her name is Olga Gerlukovich, and I realized, like, oh right, when I was like in high school, I made a movie with a Russian villain named Gerlukovich. I was literally just like ripping off <laughs> everything from these games left and right, like that's how I, I I've forgotten how much space in my brain this occupied uh, back in the day, but um, but like. W- yeah, I, I love every single character in this game, and I, I think the thing about it that I missed so much because uh, I hadn't, yeah, I haven't played Metal Gear in, in so long, is just the, the fact that like Kojima is this Japanese man who is obsessed with like Western politics and the U.S. military, but then also, you know, goes about telling a story about the U.S. military in the most anime way imaginable. And just, I had, like, whether it is just, like, the the direction of things, whether it, I mean, all the, the like, wonderful nonsense this game gets into, like, later on in it, just, I, like, I had forgotten how much I loved just the, because, like, again, when I played this game for the first time, I, uh, you know, had no real attachment to snakes, so I was not mad at Raiden at all. And I just remember spending hours listening because I, I, it was that, I don't know, it was this time when when I played video games, I'm just like, I, I feel like I need to get, like, anything could be important. And I need to get everything out of this. And I would just listen to every single Kodak conversation between Raiden and his girlfriend. And the stuff that people hated, I was just eating all of it up. And, and I love it. I, I, I have I have no great insight other than uh, I just I love everything about this game and everything that's silly that that turns some people off is what I like the best.
0: No, there is there is this amazing connection between like kind of, you know, an obsessive level of research or just kind of like dorkiness about some of this stuff mixed with this this heightened reality where it's like okay uh you know olga when you first meet olga snake is like hey throw your gun off the side uh but then it turns out that she has a knife that is a gun that shoots like a bullet at him and it does the like slow-mo matrix like bullet trails behind it thing um but then they also take time to for snake to be like, huh? That's a real weapon that existed, you know. Where and it's like, if you look it up, there is like a knife gun, like that. That was a thing that happened, and it totally feels like, you know, like me. Kojima was like, you know, someone who would just like look at a bunch of pictures of wacky weapons and be like, wow, what if that was used? And then in this game, it's like, yep, we're gonna we're it's gonna like, include the knife gun in it. That kind of stuff is, I think, what's so fun because like there is, there are like real ideas
2: about like. You know the world and society and politics and and 21st century militarization, and all that that he really wants to explore. And then there's also just stuff like when when Snake returns and is like, "My name is Iroquois Pliskin," and he just he puts his like his references, uh, like 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 he's so unsubtle about all of them. And just like every, I mean, obviously you get to the point like I haven't even played Death Stranding, but I know that like you know guillermo del toro is just a character in the game and stuff like that like everything he loves is just right there on the surface uh and he's like so proud of it
0: he doesn't even try to to hide it at all it's uh it's delightful on the theme of things being funny in the speech the commander is giving there are sections where he just yells like intruder to the left intruder to the right and then and then he's like just keeping you on your toes but it is like it's so good to have like all the people in that room suddenly turn towards you and you like dive behind a. Box. the way
1: that scared the shit out of me the first time it happened and then <laughs> yeah. the way i laughed my ass off as i realized what he was doing fucking god this game this game rocks this it's is- great well I, wait is this the first metal gear game that
2: introduces uh the the guard who uh, has to poop. Nope,
0: that is in one. Okay,
2: okay. I, I, I think because I played two first, this was my introduction to it. So okay, oh, I love that guy.
0: There is a boy. There, Kojima loves having guys have to poop. There, there's another section where someone pees on Raiden. That apparently, there, there's a whole cut thing where snake wanted a guard to back up to a rail with his pants down and you think oh no i'm gonna get pooped on but then he just pees and apparently it was just like every developer was just like i'm just not gonna work on that like i'm not gonna (laughs) do it um but the most of the story of this section happens at the very end here where you um you you've taken the pictures of metal gear you're like okay i'm doing good and then suddenly uh the the terrorists bust in to the marine you know place where they're giving the big speech in front of metal gear and who should be there but our old friend revolver ocelot um who is back and cool as
1: ever but he's he's called he's called something else what what is his name? Sala Sala Sal- Sal-
0: Oh well Sha Shal-
1: Shala Shal- He was Shashka? referred to that
0: in the first game as well. Like that oh, was okay. that was like a you know, a revolver oscelot, I guess, is a code name or whatever. But there is this notable exception where I was like, Boy, I'm so glad that I played the first game before this, because I would have no idea what the fuck is happening. Where Liquid, uh, who ostensibly died from fox die at the end of the first game is uh revolver ocelot's arm and but also seems to be like competing for control over his body and so sometimes will take over and start talking in liquid's voice instead of revolver's voice uh and it's all it's all quite a lot it it goes into like a complete sci-fi movie very quickly
2: <laughs> yeah uh, and, and so like and the technical name for him is Liquid Ocelot, then? Oh, okay. Maybe. Who knows? <laughs> yeah, it is. Uh, also, isn't it in this section where someone first brings up the uh, <laughs> the Lulelo? Li- lo- li-
0: yes, they do. And they do not explain that at all they just say it and everyone proceeds like that's a normal thing to say
2: (laughs) and it's a very funny thing to hear uh like intense military people say because it is just uh gibberish but it's delivered very seriously
0: uh yes that that whole section is great and then um then revolver slash liquid uh jumps into the metal gear which uh I, I wouldn't keep the keys in if that was my giant death machine robot, but they, they let it go. I mean, there's a lot of... There is, like, politicking stuff that happens where there's, like, a kind of Russian guy that Revolver, like, partnered with to... Well, that's Gerlukovic, take over. and
2: Olga is his daughter.
0: Olga is his daughter, right. But then, but then Revolver kind of betrays him at the end and is like, I didn't care about you, I just wanted to get in this metal gear i i'm sure there is more nuance to the scene that i'm kind of not getting because i don't know what happens in the rest of the game and so i don't know what's foreshadowing or not
1: yeah yeah i was wondering because i know kojima is like what if we explain every character but i'm like do i really need to care about these dudes and their whole deal can i kind of tune some of this out i'm sure they'll come back to bite me in the ass when there's like three hours of cutscenes about Girl Lukovic oh, yeah. later but uh, yeah but
0: we'll we'll find out then um this is another scene where it's like boy there is money on the screen because um liquid starts piloting metal gear ray Uh, metal gear ray also a different kind of metal gear than the first game because it's uh it's amphibious so it can go underwater
1: is that the one at the beginning of rising yes because
0: it's got the big it's got the big arms now uh... now
1: this cutscene rocks unfortunately my decades on the internet i had a cinema sins moment watching this i hate to say it hate to out myself like this but the metal metal gear ray is constantly opening its big mouth and uh Growling, howling, whatever you would call it. And I, was, and I was like, what would be the actual function of that mechanically that it would need to uh roar like Godzilla? And then I got too hung up on this and missed a lot of this cutscene as I was trying to like come up with an excuse as to why it would need to roar as just a robot. Intimidation, Blake. Make everyone you think scared. That's it? Yeah. I don't know. It just it seemed it, at CinemaSins, I'm on it. I don't think it made sense. I I mean honestly considering how much time Kojima
2: likes to spend on cutscenes where characters just uh talk about technical stuff. I'm surprised there wasn't a scene with like you know, <laughs> yeah. the guy who worked on the Metal Gear program who is in charge of the sound design for it. And uh who who will explain the origin of its dinosaur roar and then the philosophy behind like 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 why this is like a great battle tactic.
1: Exactly. That's what I'm saying. I feel like Based upon play, hearing how Kojima writes about these things, I have a pretty good idea of how the Metal Gear functions, except for the gigantic roar, which I get. It has a mouth to let the beam go through, but then the thing's just like a Tyrannosaurus Rex for a few minutes. I'm like, what is the need for this? Is it a cooling system? You know, to let air in and out, cool the machine. I don't know, but I was so hung up on this last. I night. mean,
0: but I I also think you know, it's like obviously a Metal Gear is a ridiculous. Like war machine, you know, like why why is it better than just a missile? And so I think if you're if you're thinking about it in the history of mechs and specifically what it's near, which is like Evangelion, you know, it's like the the Eva's roar because they are kind of like you know organic and are like expressing this like pain at the world or whatever. And so you know if you want to do a little a little like personalization of the metal gear it is this kind of like it. it is it is like screaming because it represents war you know it's just like it is just kind of going off and it's you know this is a game that doesn't take because it explains everything else i think it stands out more but it's like the metal gears don't make sense because they are like metaphors you know more than anything and so i'm kind of willing to like give it this so also, you're it's saying it's for me to
1: get hung up so you all are you all are saying i am in the wrong yeah for getting so hung up on this is what you're i'm hearing would you prefer if it didn't roar well no no the roar <laughs> is fucking cool that's all
0: that matters um I love, I love these scenes of all the, all the dudes haplessly shooting at it and getting wiped out. Like any, anything that has a bunch of dudes uselessly shooting at something that they have no hope of killing, whether it's this or, you know, Godzilla, I'm there for. Um, And then I, gosh, there is just, there's just so much money here. There was a scene, there's a scene that you can actually see in the intro where tanker was supposed to start flooding and snake was going to like run through it that apparently they just like couldn't get to run on the ps2 uh you know with with the specs available uh but it does flood it, it eventually it gets to this just like unbelievable i mean you could picture it like a two-panel comic spread of like metal gear straddling the like broken pieces of the tanker uh, just kind of like in in the New York skyline and yelling and Snake is like bobbing there in the water and then like sinks down. And it is, I, I, there is just so much fucking swag in like how they pull off the end of
1: what is essentially the cold open to this game. Yeah, it's incredible. I mean, the, it, it, it it's like, it, it kind of was one of those moments where I was like, the PS2 can do this. Because, like, think about, uh, Jacob, we played Silent Hill 3 a few months ago. The greatest-looking game of all time. Uh, There's not too much going on in those cutscenes. They just look really fucking good. And Metal Gear Solid 2, like Silent Hill 3, is all real-time. There's no pre-rendered, that I'm aware of, cutscenes. Yeah, other
0: than, like, the intro sequence. Right.
1: And I was like, I genuinely did not know the PS2 was powerful enough to handle this. That's probably a product of crunching endlessly for a year and forcing the PS2 to do it. But hey, yeah, play play Shadow of the Colossus, Blake. There's some crazy shit going on there. I'm just saying, I was blown away by this moment. It's like I didn't think this was possible to do. Yeah, it's a thing. I, I something I was thinking about
2: while playing the game was just the general look of it because I remember like when I first played it uh, and that era of of video games and, like, the PS2, it was a thing where I was so uh, I was so used to pre-rendered cutscenes, especially, you know, if you looked at, like, Final Fantasy games of the era, where, like, I would crave those moments where it's like, oh, it's going to get shiny now, and it's going to look really good. And, like, I, I was like, oh, that's how- what video games do. Like, they look one way, and then you get to the story part, and then they look better. And so I remember, like, when I first, you know, when I was like, I don't know, thirteen or fourteen or whatever, and played Metal Gear Solid Two, initially I was a little surprised that like, oh, it it doesn't get shinier uh, when you get to the cutscenes, but it looks so good throughout. But then it's also like, uh, but now I was thinking about it and just the and like, I uh, there's it like it looks great and. And there's a, a sort of like low contrast aesthetic to all of it. Uh, like there, there's not a lot of hard lighting. Like, like I feel like the way it's lit uh, is very is, is like they made a lot of really deliberate choices to be able to push the technology as far as it would go. Um, and so it like I don't even I'm, I'm trying to think of like even how to describe like the the look and aesthetic of it because it's like it is. The whole game is almost all, like, shades of gray and green, and and, and I, I know nothing about actual, like, you know, processing graphical power of the PlayStation 2 or whatever, but yeah, it does look great while also, like, looking very distinct, I think, for, like, games of that era. Yeah,
0: I mean, there are a lot of, you know, if you want to get nitty-gritty, there are a lot of really clever decisions about, like how hallways are lit and they're doing things where they're kind of faking reflections where it's like it looks like light is like bouncing off the floor and doing something when in reality those are just kind of like it's almost you know they're like painted and like they're not right. actually bouncing but yeah it's like especially especially in the tanker which is this extremely controlled environment you know it's like every room is this big and so we can put every light exactly where we want it to be and there was just like a ton of thought to kind of how those sort of materials like actually look and their reflectiveness and their shininess and all that.
1: Patrick I want to ask you something and I don't know exactly the smartest way to phrase this question but like you are someone whose professional career revolves around talking about and analyzing and watching movies this is the most cinematic moment of this game we've played thus far you know by sheer (laughs) example of so much shit is happening at once on screen. Like what are your thoughts about Kojima as like, not a game director, like a cinematic director, someone who's like clearly so influenced by films and tries to mimic them. Like, how do you think he pulls it off? Like, where do you think he stands compared to like his heroes?
2: I was honestly thinking about this just this exact topic more at the very beginning in the stretch when Snake is walking along the the bridge and then jumps down to the tanker because there I feel like the direction especially with like the rain and all the cars and the headlights and just like the the sound design of the traffic and all of that it it, it it's that feels like he's getting into late-period Tony Scott territory of just, like, a little more impressionistic with, like, the editing and the visuals because there's not a lot of story happening there. It's just setting this mood of, you know, this guy in a poncho walking along a crowded bridge at night. And uh, and I I think—I feel like right there especially, that's, like— as much as obviously at the end of the tanker section is kind of like really like throwing down the gauntlet for like, look what, you know, like, look like, uh, you know, Jerry Bruckheimer, don't you wish you could produce a movie that, that has like a set piece like this, but just the very beginning of the game, I feel like that's really him, you know, like deliberately showing off as a director and like, like just like, like, look what I'm doing in terms of like, like lighting and shot design and uh, and you know and and just cinematography in general and editing and all this stuff and like I think I think he's like a pretty good director like I it honestly when it comes to Kubijima as a like as a filmmaker the part that I wonder more about is just like you know his dialogue scenes which uh, you know especially in like four uh, are so long. Uh, And like so technical uh, where I I really want like the thing that I remember thinking about a lot in like 2008, I think when I played four is I'm like clearly this guy wants to make movies, but also movies because of like the time constraints, I could never allow him to indulge himself the way games do. Uh, And so he's kind of found his like his perfect medium, but but yeah, I think just in terms of like you know a command of like visual storytelling, uh, he's like genuinely good and has studied his influences so much that I I, I think he can uh, walk the walk.
1: Yeah, you know, I, I having played a lot of Kojima games in just the last five years, I feel like I, I think a lot about kind of the uh, the. What you said, and Jacob, you said it. People say a lot, like, Kojima just wants to be making movies. And I think that's the case for a lot of other game directors. As, like, they would rather be making this thing into a movie. I don't ever get that sense from Kojima. Like, I think he's very influenced by films and wants to mimic films. But, like, his games are so mechanically interesting that I get the sense he is making what he wants to make. And, like, granted, now he is attached to an A24 you know, Death Stranding movie, but, like...
0: Yeah, I think, I mean, I
1: think partially people
0: say that because he has said it, where he's like, well, I wanted to make movies, but it was too hard to get into them, so I started making games. But I agree with you, like, in in the actual game. I
1: feel like over the last 20 years, like, I don't know, I feel like he would have made a movie if he really did want to by this point and granted now he is but like i don't know i always get the sense that he's like happy doing this as games instead um but granted i've never met the guy i've never asked him i i really uh, yeah are you gonna have uh him on on the show no (laughs) we're not
0: lord (laughs) yeah we'll try we'll get his weird robot from
1: his podcast oh my god it'd be the first podcast he was on with good sound editing (laughs) Did you all hear that spotify thing (laughs) jesus christ no it's awful it is horrible. So uh, I, I'm
2: guessing that, like, do we all have the same dream of just v- visiting his studio and like taking the photo with him that like everyone, uh, every cool person gets to seem to do?
0: Yeah, Timothy Chalamet goes up, poses next to that astronaut.
2: Yeah, I just I I want that so bad. Well, the thing with Kojima as filmmaker is I like I totally agree that I think. What he he's doing what he really wants to do and making the stuff yeah, that he really yeah, wants yeah, yeah. to make. But I'm a little... I mean, and we'll, we'll see what happens with this A24 Death Stranding thing. Uh, but it's the kind of thing where I'm just like, I would have expected him by now to have just been like, well, I want to just try making one movie. Just like, you know, just as in like, make a live action thing. Uh, that That's, that's the, the main thing where I'm, I'm like, if you're at the point now where you're just... Getting Norman Reedus and, you know, and, and Del yeah. Toro and like, you know, Leah Seydoux and all these like people to just come in, do performance capture and look exactly like their live action selves. I'm just like, don't, wouldn't you like to just be on a set once and just, uh, and, and just at least see what it's like to, like to to direct a thing like with live actors, not in like a mocap studio. Like I feel like he should just. Well, I mean, I guess he is. Got, like okay, I haven't followed
1: the news super closely other than the basic announcement. What
2: is happening with this Death Stranding A twenty
1: four thing? I don't know that it's particularly been revealed other than it's happening i don't even know like if he's directing yeah but it's not he hasn't been
0: like i am directing it right he seems he seems excited and closely involved but yeah it's not and the other thing that like we don't know about him is like obviously he's always taking pictures with these people like you, you know these filmmakers who he loves maybe he does go like, to their sets. You know, I don't know if he's ever hung out on, like, the set of a Del Toro movie or or something. It seems possible because he does just kind of like to hang out with those guys, it seems. Um, but yeah, I I don't know, you know, and I uh, it is also something that I think the series gets. I, I, I think he is kind of a Stephen King-esque character in that as he has gotten more, like, well-known and powerful he gets edited less and that is how you get metal gear solid 4 um and and like that's how you
1: get death stranding too you know like
0: yeah you know and and like some of the some of the cinematic decisions in metal gear solid 5 are like completely unhinged in a way that is both like interesting and almost impossible to watch uh you know and so it's like he's I, we, we talked about, actually, with with our previous guests, Reed and Ed, how, like, part of Metal Gear Solid 1, I think, has cutscenes that are directed maybe even more impressively because there is so little detail to work with that it's all in, like, framing and camera movements because it's like they literally don't have eyes, they don't have mouths, so it's not like you can focus on expressions. And so there's a lot of really clever like framing and and just like how they block characters in a scene and and I think as as kind of the potential of what video games can do goes up that it it kind of gets the better of him in some cases and so maybe two is this really like you know it is it is the point where it's like these things are perfectly met in the middle and he's able to kind of do enough but not anything Right. Uh, that makes it very compelling.
2: I will say, you, uh, Jacob, you brought up the Stephen King comparison. Stephen King directed one movie. He he dipped his toe in to be like, I want to see what this is like, and then promptly never did it again. Uh, and so I'm just like, I I I I I, I want Kojima's Maximum Overdrive, but, but without uh, the 14 pounds of cocaine. <laughs> no. No, no. <laughs> okay, we we need to get Kojima addicted to cocaine. Uh, then give him like I don't know fifty million dollars to make a movie. See what happens. Then send him to rehab and get him back doing games.
1: That's how something rotten started. That's a deep cut for the real fans. <laughs> um.
0: So we cut to something that I did not expect. I knew the right and switch was coming. Uh, you know, I that's a famous part of the game um it's 2 years after uh the sinking of tanker and it is in basically the same place it's like it's it's off the sh- off the shore of manhattan uh which like is weird because when you're there you're not like seeing the new york skyline it kind of looks like you're just in the middle of the ocean which i guess if you were you know 30 kilometers is is 18 miles like it's that, further that's up. pretty yeah, far yeah, yeah. out yeah. but like still it's not you know it is not in the middle of the atlantic ocean um and you are playing a character who is called snake and even more than that you are playing the beginning of metal gear Brother. solid 1 and this is what i really didn't know it, it, it is like it is room for room the beginning of metal gear solid it's 1 it's when we
1: hit raiden where i was like shit's getting weird because um, it didn't, I, it did not immediately clock for me that it was repeating MGS1 until I got out of the water. And uh, the Colonel, I was like, oh, that's kind of interesting. I was like, that's very similar. Like, that's the point where it started clicking with me. And then Colonel starts repeating the same lines from MGS1. And it's not, Jacob, correct me if I'm wrong, it's not one for one the exact same uh, speech he gives you in the beginning, but it's like select lines throughout what he's saying is from MGS one and I was like, what is fucking happening in here? And to go a step further, I don't know if I've been trying to like figure this out if it's like foreknowledge of what actually is going on with Raiden because I I, I know ish the twist of the game, um, or just the script of the game influencing me. But there is a point where Raiden says this whole thing feels like a dream. And it like made this section make more sense in my head and like yeah ever since the character switch this whole game has felt weird in a super intangible way does that make sense because it doesn't really make sense to me but something about it before that moment i was like what isn't clicking in my head not in a bad way just in a like this feels fucking weird to me
0: it it is it's incredibly weird you know in in all of my like reading about the game i have never found anything that suggests that this part was meant to be the opening. You know, it always seems that there was a planned tanker section where you play a snake and then you switch to Raiden. But everything about the section treats it as if you have never played the game before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. like, yeah. the codec calls being, like, here's how you do basic actions. Right. Here's how you, like, switch to your gun. It gives
1: you an- another tutorial. There's, like, a very quick tutorial in the tanker section. And then when you get here, it tutorializes the whole yes I'm, I'm just repeating what you're saying but yeah that was i was my brain was melting a part of me was a little annoyed i was like i got it let me play the fucking game the other part was like what are you doing to yeah, me it, right now
2: it's such a strange like but clearly deliberate thing and then they also spend so much time especially once uh raiden meets, uh, meets a meets a really cool guy named iroquois Pliskin. uh uh, who sounds really familiar? <laughs> what a cool guy! Uh, but they spend so much time talking about how this is his his first like real like IRL mission, and that. But he spent, but he's like, well, I've spent years training in like doing VR missions, which are just exactly the same. And you see like shots of his VR training where he's just fighting like like like. I don't diamonds or
1: whatever. And it's, it's shots from the metal gear, solid one, VR missions expansion. And it, it also like, to me, this felt like,
2: like, I, I, I I do not want to say what, you know, Kojima's like intent was, but it feels kind of like making fun of people who play a lot of video games and are just like, Oh, look, I, 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 I could totally uh, be a soldier because, and you know, I know all the stuff about guns and like tactical strategy because I play video games, and so I'm I'm basically like a badass in real life too.
1: No, Patrick, I think you're 100 percent on the money there. This is something we yep. talked about with MGS One, which has like kind of a thread throughout it that says play less video games, which is kind of funny to get to the end of that game after like 10 hours and I'd be like, go outside, stop playing my video games. Um, This one, I think even more so, at least more explicitly, Jacob, let me know if you feel the same way too, um, is tackling, I don't want to say the video game to military pipeline because I feel like that was not a super big thing for at least five to ten more years when Call of Duty became so big. Well, and that is, I will say...
0: That is referenced explicitly in Metal Gear Solid 4, where they talk about training soldiers and you see the UI of the PS3 screen playing Metal Gear Solid 4.
1: (laughs) I think, but I think they're like, it's hinting at that idea in here that like violent video games are breeding, not breeding, because I don't want to go down like a conservative pipeline, but like violent video games are... What I don't know how do I say
0: this No I I think you're I think you're right and this is this is what something rotten struggles with is like there is such there is so much bad faith talk about how video games cause violence that it feels almost impossible to have an actual discussion about how like video game valorization of the military has real life implications you know and I think that is that's essentially what's what's happening here and again it is it is this very kind of like uh, it, it it feels very prescient in that like Raiden is playing a video game and because he's good at the video game he's put in war and we know now that like drone pilots use Xbox controllers to you know control drones and like do and, and war is increasingly video gameified because people are like separate from it and they're using technology to do all this shit and so it is this kind of like you know snake snake is the old guard and because of that he understands what combat is like because he's like been in it before and raiden is this dude trained on all his experiences who's like never done it
1: but also like to that end visually raiden is like a great stand-in for the gamer i mean granted he's he's so anime but like snake snake has five o'clock shadow you know what I'm saying? Like, he looks like uh, Kurt Russell. Raiden looks like a teenage kid. A cool one, an anime one, but he is a kid. You know what I'm saying? Like, there was no attempt to make him look grizzled or ba- even badass. They do that later in the series, for sure. But uh, in this one, he it's easy to be like, oh, yeah a 15-year-old might see Raiden and be like, oh, he kind of has the same hair as me or whatever. You know what I'm saying? And yeah. I think that's very pointed. Yeah, he's so, he's so pretty. And and
0: I, I, <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. That's, I'm that's i
0: sure our, our listeners will, will write in if we don't mention it here, but like, was it designed intentionally to be quite androgynous looking? You know, to, to be like, yeah, this is, this is not the grizzled man of war. This is just kind of like a, a pretty boy.
1: A kid, yeah. Which, like, by God, a lot of kids go to war when they shouldn't because they want to do hoorah shit, and that's a uh, you know video games are guilty of that as much as anything else but, but... unfortunately
2: when they send kids um, to war in real life they don't let them keep their like beautiful kind of floppy hair that, that like floats around true. balletically uh you know when they cartwheel through the air
1: god that cartwheel so cool <sighs> I love they also it. don't get to be samurais either unfortunately um
0: so so but when we enter this section they're calling him snake which is again this very weird and he has like a mask on for like the first long time and you can hear that it is not david hater but like there's they're calling him snake he's doing the same shit that snake did in metal gear solid one
1: he um, for five minutes is doing the snake voice before he <laughs>
0: immediately drops it which is very funny um, yeah and and it's but and then you hear that like solid snake is the leader of a terrorist group But he's like, but not that solid snake. And it's like, what the fuck is going on? (laughs) It's uh, great stuff. This is so much fun. And
2: also, it's just, it's great to see the colonel back because, you know, I I mean, if anything, like, uh, so here's a question. Uh, Go back to the tanker section for a minute. How did you guys feel about when you die hearing Otacon shout, snake, snake? snake as opposed to the colonel's
1: classic snake colonel was better yeah, of course for sure colonel was better, but
0: yeah. yeah it is it is weird and it's like when you save as snake otacon kind of tries to do like a Mei Ling thing where he like he like gives you a quote and then he's like sorry i'm not very good at this hilarious bit the first two times then i started speeding through <laughs> <laughs> um it, no but i i it's like you get to this part it feels like the game is starting for the first time because it is it is campbell back it's the situations we're familiar with from metal gear solid one uh they're teaching you how to play um and <laughs> and then you meet a, a guy uh who looks like snake whose name is iroquois Pliskin. that Pliskin is obviously like snake is named after snake Pliskin from escape from new york uh, what is the Iroquois reference, other than being, like, an indigenous tribe? Is that is that to a movie, or are we going to figure out what it means later? G- genuinely, again, I have not played this game in a while. I cannot remember. Uh, the,
2: the I don't know. Is it because, you know, the Iroquois tribe w- was based in New York State, and they're off the coast of New York? I, I really don't. I mean, it sounds... It's a really cool name, but also I cannot think of any other fictional characters that have ever had the first name Iroquois.
0: And it it also, it's like... When he says it, it sounds like he's making it up.
1: Yeah. You know, it sounds like he's going to say, I'm Snake. And then he says, I'm uh, Iroquois Pliskin. Importantly, we got to talk about who else is in the introduction to Iroquois Who's that? Pliskin. Vamp. Oh, that's right. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So another another copy of Metal Gear Solid
0: 1. You walk up. There is this bloody hallway. It's shot in exactly the same way as it is before the Gray Fox scene in, uh, in Metal Gear Solid 1. And then you get in there and there's this other crazy guy killing everyone but it's not
1: gray fox it's it's vamp a vampire a, vampire. <sighs> a vampire. vampire vamp is so cool from romania vamp rocks you want to know a fun fact about vamp that i bet y'all didn't know uh that he's voiced yeah, by phil some, lamar something well you're going down the right road uh in japan vamp was the original voice actor kojima wanted died so the original replacement was going to be something rotten, frequent, talking point. Shinya Sukamoto, the director of Tetsuo the Iron Man, Bullet Ballet, Snake of June. What? All of that. Wow. However, yeah, Shinya and Kojima are big time friends. They they post pictures in that lobby all the time. Um, but I think scheduling issues, it didn't work out. So a different actor played it. But Sukamoto did play Vamp in the Japanese version of MGS4. So... Whoa. There you go. There you go.
0: God, how how
1: strange. We love Tsukamoto on this podcast, and we finally found a game with him. Almost <laughs> in it, um, I don't know what we're supposed to make of Vamp, other than he's
0: a cool weird guy who's a vampire that's
1: what you're supposed to make of him jacob what is Uh, the question here he's he he (laughs)
2: jumps a lot he does a lot of like big theat. like he'll be up in like the rafters of of a room and then we'll like you know do a big dramatic like leap down and uh has knives and you know I, i when he slits the guy's throat and the blood just sprays up in the air and like rains down on him it's great. It's I I also uh, something I was thinking about uh you know, again it's been a little while since I've I've played the Metal Gear games but so but it does seem like uh like there are certain bosses uh that kojima just likes so much that he brings them back in future like you know ocelot from the first one and he's back again in this vamp returns in four where he's just like they're, they're so good like you know i i can't waste them on i on just one game they got to be recurring characters yep. now
0: no totally i mean it's like the whole it, it's like four has like essentially a psychomantis fight and a sniper wolf fight yeah you know and whatever and they're just kind of made made slightly different um uh, here's a, a small note for reasons that I don't fully understand. Uh, the shortened name of Iroquois Pliskin is J.G. Pliskin, which I immediately wrote down Jacob Geller Pliskin, Junior General, um,
1: Junior General. Oh, that's they right. Say okay, it. they say it.
0: Okay, so, well, Jacob Geller, Junior General. Uh, same, same diff. Um, there is this like another great bit of kind of like world explainy stuff where you have this long call about how you can't pick up. Uh, enemy weapons because they're all like ID locked. And so oh, I didn't get this can't use another dude. And then in the next cutscene, scene, Raiden picks up a random gun that someone throws to him and shoots a bunch. And I was like, why can he do that? But then we find out that it's in fact, Iroquois, Iroquois Bliskins gun. And so it's like, it's explained. It's like, Oh no, he wouldn't have ID tagged it because like, he's different than the people Ryden is fighting. And so it is this kind of like, over explaining playing with your expectations and then like being like no they did think about that too in a way that i find i find very fun and is not annoying uh yet i question is this i i mean I, i don't know if there's
2: a way that we can know this but um can anyone think of an earlier fictional instance of the, like, ID-tagged weapons thing? Uh, because, like, I'd forgotten that they had it in this game because I remember that's a-, a thing they introduce in the movie Skyfall when Q gives Bond a gun and he's like, this is coded to, like, your palm... Like, basically, only you can fire this. And uh, and I'd forgotten that, like, a decade earlier they had it in this mm. game.
1: Yeah. Jacob is... Con- Oh well, you're asking earlier, but is con- is that what happens in control?
0: Um, well, in control, it's kind of, it's it's something slightly different because it's like it—the weapon chooses her, and so like she, you know, that's more of like a sword in the stone thing. Oh well, pa- Patrick, what about Thor's oh. hammer? Well, I, well, I, well, I, I mean, mythology. well, that's
2: really just whoever's well, that's worth. That's kind of like no, an ID. This is,
0: yeah, <laughs> specifically like ID tagged guns, which is also I I have heard. Uh, and this is, I read this years ago, so this is potentially not the case. But like, I have heard that that's actually something that like gun manufacturers have fought. You know, because it was at least proposed to me as, like, a a safety measure where it's like, oh, only one person can do this so your kid can't, like, get your gun and and shoot it. But I guess it is some level of, like, the government's controlling my guns and so people didn't want it or whatever. It's also, it's a big part of 4. They talk about the ID-tagged weapons a ton. But I'm sure there are earlier examples, but I can't think of any.
2: yeah. Oh, also, um, on a totally unrelated note, uh, there's a character that we have not discussed yet who I, I think is very important who comes in here. Uh, it, uh, Because, you know, Otacon is no longer there to save our games. Instead, Raiden's girlfriend is uh, is just along for the mission, like, on the radio, and then you learn that his name is Jack and her name is Rose. Uh, that's right. And and it does it, it's the it's the thing you know this is introduced and you do wonder why why are the, like it, it's this guy's first field mission and why did they do they have his girlfriend just just there on the radio like it seems uh very unprofessional. I mean, I, obviously we'll find out more about that later on,
1: but I... Wait, wasn't it explained right when she's introduced? Isn't it because Snake fell love? They realized love is important to have on the battlefield to create a sense of desperation? I'm pretty sure the colonel said this. Yeah, but it's like, that feels like an insane
0: explanation. You know, it's it, like he Jacob, said... Jacob, we're
1: playing a game with a vampire in it. What do you mean it feels
0: like
2: <laughs> an insane explanation? <laughs> I I mean, it it is. And it's like, there is... There's no way to explain it that isn't insane because it just seems like a, a really stupid thing to do uh, that's going to, like, really distract him, uh, like, during this mission. But it, it is – I feel like that, that like, the, the Rose stuff is a big introduction of, like uh, – and I, I just remember this, like, from, you know, playing it and talking to people about the game, you know, back, like, around – like, in the early 2000s. And just having Rose there just leads to, you know, if if you want to listen to them, just codec convers like codec conversations that have basically nothing to do with like the main story that are just about them, you know, talking about like you know uh, going at, like making dinner plans for after the uh, the mission is done and when he's back home and talking about their relationship and basically she becomes kind of like. A therapist, as the game goes on, where it's like Ryan will just like dump all his feelings out into the codec, and um, you know, this is t- like I I I remember listening to so many of these, uh, just being like, well, it's in the game, you know, it might be important, I I I probably should, but it's a thing that, you know, I get why people didn't like it because they wanted cool grizzled solid snake, they did not want, you know a whiny little boy talking about his feelings to his girlfriend, Uh, and I just love that they put so much of this in the game.
0: No, they, they do a great job of, like, Raiden is really infantilized through a lot of things you know it is like I already know how to play the game and the colonel is calling me every five seconds to tell me how to play the game and like it's my first big boy mission but my girlfriend is here because like they it's too scary to do it alone and like you know there is a lot of stuff that it's like snake got to fall in love in a cool way uh you know like Ryden is just like they're they're bringing his girlfriend because they think he can't do it without her, which is like not cool. You know, it's like, "Mom, I don't need your help." Uh really really feels like a lot of his vibe, uh which I think uh it rocks and I'm it it, it the the idea of people getting mad at this is so, you know, it's like obviously gamers have not gotten more mature since 2001, so I'm sure they still would, but like actually pulling off this switch And having it not leak and doing all this, like, truly is kind of a remarkable thing. And no matter where I land on the game, ultimately, I just have so much respect for, like, thinking of that and doing it.
2: Oh, yeah. and I mean, everything about, especially, like, you know, playing it again now, like, years later, everything about Raiden just seems like Kojima is trying to piss off, like, a big portion of his audience. And... I'm, I'm, you know, whether in movies or whatever, I'm very often in favor of the creator uh, trying to, like, antagonize the audience. Uh, and so I love yeah. this. I think it's all great. I
0: would have to... Another Evangelion reference. I would
1: have to assume in one of our... Somewhere, Game Informer, still has, you know, probably would have been a physical mailer that they sent this game out, the embargo agreements. And I would kill to know what oh, that would be so the write thing was because like last of us part two we saw you couldn't talk about more than half of the game because they switch characters i'd love to know what konami said about the write switch in those yeah
0: i mean we could probably like read read reviews at the time and just see what they mention you know it's like i bet the you know the game informers review might not be accessible but like i'm sure ign's is or whatever also
2: you just you know if anyone listening, I uh, you know was was writing reviews for publications
0: at the time, you know, right in, right in, yeah. right in to us. <laughs> let us know what was that embargo? Um, okay, so you, uh, yeah, you meet you meet Pliskin, you have this whole interaction. Apparently, there's kind of a hard to find item that's a razor. That if you find it before you meet Pliskin, you give it to him, and then the next time you see him, he's clean shaven. Uh, but then if you wait a week. Like, in your console time clock, the beard will grow back, which is, like, come on, man.
1: Um, Some developer did not see their family for two weeks because of that shit. um,
0: And then we meet uh, someone who I don't know anything about, but her design is fucking awesome, which is a Fortune, who is, like, a mercenary, I guess, is just this lady with a railgun who, like incinerates a bunch of dudes and they all shoot at her and they all like bend around and it's just like okay there's another there's another superhero in this game we've got another like psychomantis character who just like has unexplained powers well
2: they they explain here that there's like this terrorist group dead cell right that was like oh that's right yeah yeah and the, the, you know their members are like vamp fortune fat man uh, who is, of course, the explosives expert um, who uh, wears rollerblades, um, and and yeah, and and you know, uh, maybe more, but like, I who is the artist who does like the the illustrations of like the cover art for the games? Yoji because, Shinkawa. Yoji Shinkawa. Okay, I love I love that style, and I, I love his artwork so much. And when they in like the codec hall, or like maybe it's Iroquois who's explaining about dead cell and you get the illustrations of like the whole team and every and, and yeah, I, yeah. I just remember like d- just the delight of all, like for instance even though when i played this originally i had not played the first one in full i still knew who all the bosses were and about all their cool names in the first one and then just the reveal of like oh we've got a whole new team of like you know these cool these awesome sounding awesome looking uh, it, it's basically just like a superhero team that they've got here, and everyone has their own thing, and uh, and it's great. I, I obviously th- three has has another great team.
0: I mean, it's 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 a rogues gallery, right? Like that's that's really what he's got. Uh, which is uh, yeah, which is so cool. I can't wait to. <laughs> Find out more about her life as she lays dying, presumably, in that Metal Gear Solid style. F- Fortune's really. Uh, I- we didn't really... I love talk, these people. Um, we didn't really talk about what Big Shell is, which is like the second, you know, we're, we're off of Tanker, we're on to Big Shell.
1: Yeah, it's very strange. So when the Tanker went down, the Big Shell was built in the same place it went down. And correct me if I'm wrong, it is not too dissimilar from Shadow Moses. Is meant to help clean up the spill of big tanker, like it or, is, or
0: or at least that's the public story, right, that...
1: right? But like, I don't know what you would call that, and a river cleaner facility. But yeah, like... I mean,
0: it looks, it, it is like it's enormous. You know, it looks like a giant. It looks like seven connected oil rigs, or like you know what what they build. It looks like outer heaven in Metal Gear Solid Five, essentially.
1: And, yeah, the the uh, our mother base, right? either way yeah um, and the idea of it is a little weird which i guess just hints it obviously this is not what big shell is actually for is if this thing goes down which is why right is here this thing has been hijacked by terrorists the president is under threat of kidnapping if this thing goes down the cleanup will take decades which doesn't fully make sense if it's literally just there to clean up the water um but that's the like big threat is because yeah. Fat Man, as we're about to learn, has placed C4 along the uh, the the buttresses or whatever the hell and is threatening to blow it up, which will create a catastrophic, you know, environmental scenario for New York and ostensibly so the world.
2: Can we discuss uh New York geography for a minute? So the tanker section begins at George Washington Bridge. Uh A bridge that goes across the Hudson River, okay, connecting Washington Heights to New Jersey. How far does the tanker get when it sinks? Uh, Wait, wait, okay, so just to check, you guys have not played the end of the game yet, have you? Okay, I won't say anything about the end of the game. I will not spoil anything. But Big Shell is presumably built where the tanker sank. Right, um, but it looks like big Shell, when you see like the wide shot of it, there's like nothing around. And so I'm like, that has to be out in the ocean. but, uh, and so like you know, the, the the tanker was going down the Hudson and then out into the Atlantic, out through like you know New York Harbor. Um, it didn't seem like the tanker section went on long enough to get out that far to like to sink out like way past the city
0: ocean currents baby you know it sinks and they just swoosh it along talk to james cameron about where he yeah. found the titanic uh look i think uh you know made made by a japanese team doing their best to get new york geography but perhaps not as knowledgeable about it as two two lifelong new yorkers as i'm on the call with right a story
1: a baby only place in the world <laughs> It that would have happened if it was on my side of Manhattan. If that was happening over there by Roosevelt Island, I would have taken care of it. Unlike Snake, who messed the whole thing up. Exactly. I'm like, not in my damn city. One of the
0: things that I really like about Big Shell is the the lighting is a very. It's different than Tanker, but it's another thing that I think of as like very PS two lighting, which is this beautiful kind of like hazy sunny thing where it honestly it, it looks like eco the the fumitu ueda game which is one of my favorite games but it's like it it's so it is so kind of like ethereal feeling and part of the reason that it doesn't feel like it's off the coast of manhattan is because it feels like you're like nowhere you know just kind of in a cloud um i which i i feel like was one of those decisions probably made just if they're
2: like oh it's a cloudy day so the cloud like diffuses the sunlight it's just a reason that they don't have to do like you know harder lighting and like glare and stuff
0: like that they can just have this yeah nice and, soft and, lighting. and draw a skyline right um i also there is uh there's that shot when you go up the elevator and it's it's indoors and then it goes to outdoors and it's just kind of this open strut and you've got like the sun shining through and Raiden's looking all cool. And it's just like, goddamn, this is, you know, like in in terms of doing the first game, but showing what the PS2 is capable of, it really feels like they're just oh, showing yeah. off.
2: It's also one of those things where I feel like uh. I... They're very de- because the first game is all set like at night in a snowy environment. Uh, they're deliberately trying to like with this game just do extremely different like climate, uh, and like time of day settings. You get like the intense rain and wind, uh, like of the tanker section, and then just bright sunlight for the rest. And like, so you know, uh, a, a lot of the boss fights are are actually just, like, outside in, like, in bright daylight. Uh, You know, the opposite of the first game. Um, but they, I mean, well, I think what's so fun about Big Shell, just as a setting, is, you know, so much of the game, you're you're running around or, like, dangling from railings with it nothing around you. It's it just, like, you know, it... It's isolating, like the first game was, but in a different way. Like you know, the, the, you're you're hundreds of feet above the ocean. You can't like when you like look off into the distance. There's nothing there at all. It's just yeah. They managed to you know just. I, I just appreciate that that it's a completely different. Like look and feel and and everything about the setting is just unique to this game.
0: Yeah, I mean, and it, is, it relates to what Blake said earlier. As Ryan says, like it feels like a dream. Right. You know, it does not. It it feels feels like a VR mission, uh, which we will maybe learn more about. Uh, I do. Either of you have any more like burning things that you need to say about this section of the? You know,
2: game? not a lot else happens here uh when uh Jacob when you told me that we're gonna talk about um you know up through meeting Peter Stillman is that it mm-hmm. uh I was shocked at how soon that arrived I just kind of assumed like like I I remember oh yeah there's some bomb disposal guy but I assumed like I don't know yeah we'll, we'll probably like that's probably like after like fighting fat man and stuff like that and uh it's so soon into this section that uh yeah you just you don't fight vamp uh you, you just see fortune the one time um we're so far away from like the big story twists and revelations and all of that yeah I mean I mean okay here's what I'll say um we we mentioned it before but uh Raiden's little uh aerial cartwheel is a great move and way better than snakes uh just tumble um I love that. that. I uh, I do think it's really fun, um, as like a gameplay mechanic, uh, to sneak past guards outside by just dangling from like from the catwalk and just shimmying by. That's fun. Uh other than that, I I, I can't think of what else there is to bring up.
1: I like that you can slip on bird poop. Yes. But, uh, yes. That, that really yeah, it's good stuff. Is it okay, so I also
2: I started playing this like, maybe a day or so after my second viewing of The Boy and the Heron. And uh, and now I'm just wondering, is it is there just a thing in, like, Japanese art media where they just love putting bird shit into things? It's like, is it like, because there's such an... Have you guys seen The Boy and the Heron? Oh,
0: yeah. A lot of bird shit in
1: that
2: movie. So, like, just the detail uh like, like the attention to detail with the bird shit and animating the bird shit uh like that there was a lot of thought put into that and clearly same thing here and
0: um and yeah i mean i think we've covered Ko- kojima loves he loves body functions he does he loves pissing and shitting yeah uh so for miyazaki who knows there there are two things that i want to tell you uh from the jeff keighley uh making of thing one uh kojima a big karaoke guy do you know one of his favorite bands american band or yeah devo earth wind and fire weird (laughs) weird loves to loves to do some earth wind and fire karaoke can we is
2: there a video of of kojima like singing september that would be oh my god I, I, i would
0: pay anything for that uh also um to convince Harry Gregson-Williams to do this score uh, was apparently it was like he had only done movie scores up to that point apparently they sent him like a like a mixtape or like a CD that they burned themselves and he was like it's one of the weirdest packages Harry Gregson-Williams speaking it's one of the weirdest packages I've ever got because like it had scores that I had done but it also had like scores where I had collaborated with other people on the movies, and somehow he knew exactly what songs I worked on that had, like, never been released, and there were songs for movies that had never had a soundtrack released, and they were somehow on the CD, and so it's like gojima Go- sent him this, like, incredible haunted CD of his music, and he was like, I guess I have to do a ah. song. That's impressive
2: because, so, Harry Gregson Williams is one of the many, many composers who kind of, like, came up working at Remote Control, uh, Hans Zimmer's studio. Because uh, I, I believe they tried to get Zimmer for this originally, and he was just too expensive. And But a, a thing with, you know, like, Gregson saying, or Gregson Williams saying that... uh You know, they had tracks that, you know, that, like, he was, like, not credited on but had had done. That's, like – because it's a thing where there's, like, there's score – like, I'm I'm so fascinated by the Zimmer studio because, you know, so many people have worked there and it's the thing where it's, like, you know, so many scores are – have like five big name composers like actually working on them. But then like the I I mean, I mean, for instance, it's the thing where like Pirates of the Caribbean won. The the credited composer is Klaus Bedelt. Uh and but like Zimmer is the producer of the album. And so many people worked on that because they made that score in two weeks. And it and so I'm I'm just like but but there are so many of, like, the actual credits or, like, our who did what is, like, under lock and key. So the fact that Kojima was able to actually get the info about, like, what tracks from probably Zimmer scores Gregson Williams did is really impressive.
1: A detail from that Jeff Keeley piece that stands out in my brain is just, like, God, he was the GOAT back in the day. You know, criticize him all you want now, especially after the most recent Game Awards, Jesus fucking Christ is he makes sure to point out that Kojima, on the hand he writes with, has built up a big callus from highlighting bugs that need to be fixed in the game. I'm like, man, we will never get game journalism like that anymore. He said, yeah, it's like he goes through two highlighters a day. I I just just, like, look, here's the thing. You know, I like to think I've done some good work out there. That isn't just like guides and fucking streaming news posts or whatever. Keely crushed us all twenty years ago. That was that's my favorite part of that whole thing. It's cool. It has the budget and the headcount and all the like nitty gritty of the game. I want to know about the calluses on Kojima's fingers. I think that's such a good detail.
0: Patrick, do you know that Jeff Keeley, this this game guy who was a journalist and does the Game Awards, you know his parents like invented IMAX. He's he's like a nepo baby to IMAX. I
2: I I mean I don't know anything about Jeff Keeley. Uh, I, I I feel like uh, this is the first time hearing of him, unless I like read stuff that he wrote
0: like twenty years ago and didn't look at the name. But uh, wow, that's it's, wild. It's very weird. Uh, I, I need to go soon, so we should wrap this up, even though we can talk about this game for another two listeners, hours.
1: Listeners, go seek out Jeff Keighley's final hour series. There's yeah, one on it's, half the original Half-Life that's out of control. It, 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 the, the Metal Gear Solid 2
0: one is hard to read on GameSpot's current site, but you can access it through the Internet Archive. There are ways of kind of getting around this. Uh, Great stuff. Wish, wish we had more about it. Patrick, thank you so much for uh, for playing your yearly video game for this show. It means a lot. Yeah, thank
2: uh, you. It was well, well. Look, no, I I started this after I did my yearly gaming and finished Metroid Dread. <laughs> yeah, uh, that's right. Oh yeah. So okay. if anything, you played two video games this year. I know. Uh, I I really really exciting stuff. No, th- this is one of my favorite games of all time. This meant. It made such a big impact on me when I was younger, and I still think about it so often that it was a joy to return to. So thank you for giving me this opportunity, and thanks for having me on the show. This was just
0: um, a lot of fun. Look, we all we all love Nebula here. You recently released the uh, Patrick Willems holiday special, uh, which I watched with my partner and was uh, was a treat. I hope all our listeners who are already on Nebula go check that out. If you're not, hey, man you got two good reasons to sign up now yeah Three, look, i i uh,
2: i'm glad i'm so glad you enjoyed the holiday special um it is i i have no way to prove this but i be- in my opinion it's the dumbest thing that nebula has ever funded and
0: uh that's like a point of pride for me yeah it ends with uh beating up a funko pop which yeah. is you know the the best thing that you could hope for for a piece of media. exactly exactly so yeah, everyone go watch it. <laughs> um, uh, and for next week, we will be playing through the second third of this game. I think we're going to end when Raiden fights a Harrier, uh, but we'll confirm that. It'll be in the description of the next next episode. And um, uh, until next week, my name is Jacob Geller. You've been listening to Something Rotten with me and Blake Hester. Um, and I just want to remind everyone that his name isn't Snake. It's Iroquois Pliskin. Bye.